Kinky Stuff with the Strangest Girls You Know, the Strange Sisters. I'm Jessie. I'm Kara. And welcome to our last episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so sorry to just like spring that, but um, we have decided to... Oh, I wrote out like a little thing and I have... Okay, so yeah, unfortunately, like this is going to be like our last episode of the Strange Sisters... Um, after a very drunk and honest conversation that we had, um, a couple weeks ago, um, we decided that, like, our hearts aren't really in it anymore, and we're both just, like, really busy with, like, work and other projects that we've started doing, so Mm -hmm. we won't be making any more episodes. Um, we want to thank everyone that has, like, supported us over the past year, and, um, like, it's been really nice that people actually want to, like, listen to us, like, prattle on about kind of sad stuff that we find really like fascinating so um we'll make some posts on like our instagram page and stuff of like you know what we're kind of going to be doing and like where you can follow us and stuff if you want to like keep up with new things that we're doing doing and stuff (laughs) or if you just want to see pictures of ziggy and binks and celine and grim like we'll tell you where you can go to get your fix of them yeah and we have like really enjoyed doing it all as well like as much as you say our hearts weren't in it like I would say, like, our hearts just haven't been in it for, like, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and it's mostly just because we do have so many other things to be focusing on that, yeah. Like, it's not that we haven't enjoyed doing it, it's just that we have other things occupying our attention. Yeah. Do we want to kind of list off other things that we're doing, like... Like, it's not Honestly, a lot. I feel like most of the people who follow the podcast or listen to the podcast follow our personal accounts anyway. And we've we've mentioned that we both do, like, art and that kind of stuff. Like, is there yeah. anything else you... Yeah. Anything new that you... I don't know. Like, I'm taking on, like... Oh, God, this makes me sound like up myself. But, like, a lot more, like, contracts with brands and stuff for, like, my Instagram. And, like, that takes up, like, a lot of time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, emailing back and forth and making content and stuff. So, and, like, work has become, like... Oh my god, work has become just so busy. Yeah. Like, due to, like, COVID and stuff, so... And Animal Crossing is life, so... Yeah, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am going to start freelancing for work, so... That is what I will be doing, which I will announce more about on my Instagram later. I don't want to say too much, because it's, like, all still in the works, so... um. But yeah, that will be spoken about on my personal accounts. Yeah. In the next month or two, probably. <laughs> cool. I'm um, excited. But yeah, that's about it for me. And I have my art stuff and whatnot as well. I don't play Animal Crossing, so that hasn't affected me. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. So yeah, I think we're both a little a little sad to say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we can finally tell like a story that we've been holding on to for a while. The Ouija story? Yeah. So <laughs> a little while ago... Um, we very stupidly decided to play with a Ouija board with a couple of friends. Yeah. And very stupidly, it was a bit of a drunk decision. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, we all kind of like pulled it out and we were like joking about it and stuff. And like, even though like we're really passionate about everything that we talk about on this podcast, you know, we all were kind of like, oh yeah, whatever. Like this isn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And holy fuck. It, it did work. <laughs> and it was so scary. Yeah, like it was spooky. Would you like to tell everyone what happened when we actually used uh, it? I don't want to like take over the whole story. My memory is like 
fuzzy now on exactly what happened. Oh, but... okay. I remember it pretty good, so I'm going to, like... Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Well, you just take over then. <laughs> yeah. So, like, we tried to do the right thing. Like, we got, like, some white candles out and some crystals mm-hmm. and, like, we tried to, like, you know, have positive vibes there and stuff. That's not the right word, but I'm going to... I'm going to own it. Okay. Um, And then, so like, you know, we tried to do the right thing and like, you know, we asked like specifically to speak to like nice spirits and stuff. You said a prayer before. (laughs) Oh, did we? I don't remember that. Okay. okay. So you don't remember it. I was pretty drunk. Like I said the wrong thing and you guys had to be like, yeah, no, not what she said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, you said the opposite. You were like, we welcome malevolent spirits. And, and you like, guys were like, benevolent. Shut up. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, we said a prayer beforehand. Um, anyway, and then, so we, we were all just like, we had all, like, we all had our, like, fingers on it, and we were just, like, kind of joking around, and, like, we were laughing heaps, and it, like, started to move a little bit, and, like, I thought it was just moving because I was laughing so much because I just thought the whole situation was so ridiculous. I think we all kind of thought that at f- like I thought it was either you or Shelby moving it but yeah. more so you because you were the one that was laughing the most. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah we thought it was just like moving because I was laughing and it moved to like the number six is that right? Yeah, yeah. it moved to the number six. Yeah so it moved yeah. to the number six like quite slowly and then Kira was like fuck this shit and like close the, the board. the devil's number. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, we all kind of sat around the board and like, I was like to Shelby, I'm like, you're moving it. And she was like, no, you were moving it. And like, we basically just got in this huge argument about who is moving it we for like 10 minutes. what happened. <laughs> um, and then we, me and Shelby were like, let's do it again. And Kira was like, no. Yeah, no, I didn't. Kira didn't do it the second time. She, like, sat in the corner and watched us and was like, you fucking morons. Yeah. (laughs) And we somehow conned Haley into doing it, like, the second time, even though... Let's be real. Haley was even more scared than you were. Uh, I think Haley did... Like, Haley was pretty brave. Like, I... Yeah, I peaced out. Haley kept going, so... Um, But yes. So we did it, like, a second time, and, like, me and Shelby were, like, really still this time, and we, like, tried our best not to laugh and stuff, and it started moving, like, pretty fast that time. Yeah. And then, so once, once it started moving, we all were, like, arguing, being like, you're moving it, no, you're moving it, so... I, like, took my fingers off for a second and it was still moving. Well, like, it was moving so fast that you were having your fingers pulled off it is what yeah. was happening. And, yeah. like, then Shelby, like, took her fingers off, like, to prove it wasn't her. And, like, Haley's too good of a bean. Like, there's no way, like, Haley was moving it. No. Yeah. And, like, Haley was terrified after that. So, yeah. like, we don't think she was moving it. It was also me- moving in, like... I don't know, like, when Shelby took her fingers off, it was moving in a direction where only Shelby could have been pushing it. Like, because yeah. it's hard to pull it. You can only really, like, push it forward. And, yeah. Like... So, yeah, I don't know. It was definitely weird. <laughs> yeah, so it was definitely moving on its own, and it was really, really scary. And then when it was moving really fast the second time, it actually spelt out the word axe, like A-X-E. Yeah. And then Kira, like, jumped in and was like, fuck this, and, like, closed the board again. Was yeah. it you or was it Haley? Uh, I don't think. No, I didn't do anything the second time because I wasn't like in it. So yeah, okay, but... maybe Haley closed it, and then yeah. So then we spent the whole night like, like freaking out over it, and like we all slept yeah. in the lounge room <laughs> together, like with Shelby's cat. Yeah, I got to use the cat as a pillow because he's the biggest <laughs> boy and he is the size of a pillow. So yeah, that yeah. was our scary Ouija story. That happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, After all those rules I gave everyone, I just like ignored all of them and we like yeah. it up. <laughs> Interesting to know that they do work. Mm. Um, also, just going back to the whole like not making any more episodes. I feel like we should just address that we are still friends. Um, we were just talking <laughs> about the fact that people are probably just going to assume that 
with like had a falling out or like we're arguing or we're not getting along or like we're not friends anymore if That's anything, I case. feel like this podcast has brought us closer together. <laughs> yeah, and part of the reason I think we are stopping as well is because, like, the only time we really spend together any... Or, like, a lot of the time we spend together is for the podcast. Yeah. Like, we don't really get to hang out anymore. Yeah. Without... And we used to yeah. go and do, like... We've always kind of hung out, like, almost every week, if not, like, every yeah. other week. And, like, before the podcast, we, like... We went out and we did a lot of fun stuff. Like, yeah. not that the podcast isn't fun, but, like... We'd go to Netherworld and we'd go, like... Gold Coast trips and stuff. Yeah, and, like, we'd go, like, explore mountains and we'd go do, like, spooky stuff. Yeah, and and now, like, it's literally... Like, if we only have time to see each other one time a week, we'd like it to be doing... Not just recording. (laughs) Yeah, like, I'd like to be able to do stuff where I can take photos and look back and, like, you know, be really, like, thankful for what we have done. Because I have, like, this little wall in my bedroom where I have, like, little photos from all... Yeah. All of our favorite <laughs> excursions on the wall. And not just like Kira, I have other friends, but like Kira's, no, the, ma- Kira's <laughs> the main focus on that wall, let's be real. Uh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Otherwise, I think, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Ouija story, no more episodes. Yeah. No Don't more Ouija boards again. ever again. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, we didn't use my like fancy Ouija board for this. We used a proper like old school like Hasbro like board, board game Ouija yeah. board, which makes it even fucking weirder that it worked. Yeah, literally. Like I'd feel like kids my play with those. Yeah, things. kids That's play fun. with those things. <laughs> um, but yeah. Also, just so everyone knows, Ziggy demanded to be part of this last episode. I kept trying to put him on the couch, and he kept coming back. He actually came back with like a blanket all like draped over him, and I was like, Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're too cute. I'll pick you up. A so, blanket to keep. So yeah, you might like hear him kind of like, he's kind of snoring on my lap right now. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I can't hear him. No, he, he doesn't stops snore now. as loud as Binks. Oh, Binks <laughs> is the loudest snorer. Binks has had his like goblin moment for today, so I'm hoping he's good for the rest of the episode. He's been pretty good so far. So far. In fact, oh I God. think this is the first episode we've recorded since you got Binks where he hasn't the ten- Yeah, the first 10 minutes haven't just been like Binks dicking around. <laughs> Um, also, I'm going to share this with everyone since I'm never going to get to speak about Binks on here again. Binks and Ziggy have become like BFFs and I wake up to them like playing in the morning together. And like yeah, every time really like cute. Ziggy sits on the couch, Binks comes and like sits as close as Ziggy will let him, which isn't always super close. Ziggy's like pretty independent. Yeah. But I caught Binks grooming Zygmunt today. He was like licking like the little like side of Zygmunt's shoulder and Ziggy oh, was just really letting cute. him and my heart just melted. I wonder if Ziggy will ever groom Binks back. Uh, maybe. maybe he day. has that little plush dog that he likes to groom. Mm-hmm. Alright, let's we've been talking for a while now. So let's do my story. Okay. Okay. So I am doing you did Zygmunt? <laughs> I am doing the Perrin family haunting, which okay. is one of the ones I said I would cover after doing the like Ed and Lorraine story. Yeah, true. Yeah. So this is the true story behind the very first Conjuring movie. Uh, okay. Yeah. So the Perrin family lived in the 14 bedroom farmhouse from January 1971 to 1980. Could you imagine living in a 14 yeah, bedroom house? That's that. like bougie as fuck. I feel like back in the day though, it was just like a thing they probably had because everyone had like 20 kids. But yeah, nowadays like a 14 bedroom house would be like... Fourteen million dollars. House. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Amityville is not that big, but it's like an, oh, fuck, I talked about it. I should know this. Like an eight bedroom house. Yeah, or something like, like something like equally as ridiculous. Back then. Yeah. 
Okay, so the family members of the Perrin family are Roger Perrin, which is the father, Carolyn Perrin, which is the mother, and then the one, two, three, four, five daughters. So Andrea, Nancy, Cynthia, who I will be referring as Cindy, Christine, and April. Um, so when they first moved in, their neighbors actually advised them to leave their lights on at night, which I don't know about you guys, but if someone said that to me, like the first day I moved in, I would just leave. Yeah, that's a red flag. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, I haven't unpacked yet. Like everything's packed up. I'm just going to leave. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, so in the beginning, the activity was just small occurrences that could easily be explained away as part of living in an old house. So noises, object shifting, nothing that could immediately be labeled as paranormal. Toys would be moved around in different positions, then the children left them, or they would all be pushed underneath the bed. But, you know, there were so many of the kids. What? Why are you looking at me I like was just going to say, that sounds pretty paranormal to me, but... Um, I don't know. If you've got yeah. five kids in the house and, you you know, you go to, like, pick up, like, your Barbie doll that you left in that room. Yeah, like, I suppose it's more just you wouldn't notice. Yeah. 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 Um, so er, yeah, originally the sisters thought that each other were moving their toys, but Mm. eventually their toys started shifting around into different rooms and not just different places. So they were getting pretty suspicious and were like accusing each other, like, of like Mm. moving their toys and stuff. And they were fighting all the time. And yeah, like it was getting a bit tense in the house over some toys. Um, so at first the children believed that the ghosts that they've now decided live there um (laughs) were that were walking around the house they were kind of like benevolent spirits or at least like pretty harmless like they were like oh they just want to play with my toys maybe they're Mm -hmm. just like some like kid ghosts kid ghosts ghosts. ghosts. (laughs) um so yeah the ghosts kind of served as like playmates and even like babysitters for the children and like the children said they really like enjoyed their company which is kind of weird, but okay. Um, so Cindy, like the second youngest sister, decided that she would share her toys with the ghosts who were visiting her in her bedroom and playing with her toys. That's Yeah, I thought it was pretty cute. Um, the girls even claimed that the ghosts tucked them in at night and kissed them on their foreheads. Oh, okay. I think that's It's cute, cute but it's also like creepy cute. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like as a kid, you'd like think it's cute, but like when you go and tell your mom, your mom would be like, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Cindy said, when we first moved into the house for the first two months, there was a woman that came and kissed me every night on the forehead, and I thought that was my mother. But Andrew, her older sister, said, Mum smelled like ivory soap, and this spirit, this spirit smelled like flowers and fruit. No, no. If it smelled like, yeah, if it was just like an old lady that smelled good, like it's not that creepy. Yeah, right? that's less creepy. I was thinking like potential demons before just like kissing these children. <laughs> Um, so, however, the parents were aware that something was extremely wrong in the house and were experiencing something far more sinister. The father would open the front door and be overwhelmed by a putrefying smell, kind of described as, like, the smell of, like, rotting meat. Yeah. Soon the benevolent ghosts that the children had gotten used to were replaced with malevolent spirits. One day, Cindy said to Andrea that a disembodied voice was telling her about seven bodies that were buried in the wall. They later came to find out about the number of people who had died either in the house or on the property. Both people, both like people who lived there and people who were just passing through. So after a while, the family started to wake up every morning at 5.15am by an overwhelming smell of rotting meat. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's so early as well. I'd be so angry. Yeah. <laughs> um, after a while... Oh, no, I read that bit. Andrea claimed that a malevolent male spirit tortured the five little girls, but she refused to provide any further details of the horror. Carolyn was the one who seemed to experience the worst aspects of the haunting. Shortly after the family moved there, she claimed that she was visited at night by a woman in a grey... Oh, in a grey dress. I cut that word out by accident. (laughs) Um, Whose head was hanging at her side. The woman told her to leave or she would be driven out with, quote, doom and gloom. Fun story. No, actually, no, I'm not going to. It has absolutely nothing to do with this. It's not not that fun. I was just going to... It's not even a fun story. It's more like random coincidence. When I had to have, like, all my wisdom teeth out, the, like the like maxillofacial surgeon that like the dentist referred me to like scared the absolute bejesus out of me about me having my wisdom teeth out that I like left crying and I got like referred to like one of the other like more not junior doctors but like he wasn't as old as this guy old and bitter and yeah he wasn't old and bitter and mean yeah (laughs) and like funnily enough like he was actually like trained by that guy yeah and when I told him that like I left that office crying he's like yeah, he kind of goes real hard on the doom and gloom about surgery. And yeah, I was like, true. yes, he does. Okay. That's not what you wanted. No. <laughs> you shouldn't be crying about having your wisdom teeth out. That's so, like, yeah, <laughs> just normal and straightforward. Okay, anyway. So at the beginning of the family living in the house, the girls liked to play hide and seek. During one of their first games of hide and seek, about six months after moving into the house, Cindy decided to hide in the woodshed. That's how you know a house is bougie when it has, like, a woodshed and stuff like that. Um, To make sure she was extra hidden, she climbed into a wooden box that had nothing more than a wooden panel covering it. No latch or key or anything. Once she realized that her sisters weren't going to come and find her, she decided to let herself out by pushing the panel up. However, it wouldn't budge. There were no air holes on anything. Cindy pushed and screamed, hoping that someone would hear her and let her out. But 20 minutes later, she realized that no one was coming. She lay there in a pool of sweat and tears when her sister Nancy finally came and simply opened up the lid. Cindy was hysterical. Wait, yeah, Nancy came and opened up the lid. Mm-hmm. And Cindy was hysterical and unable to breathe. So in October 1973, a family friend contacted the Warrens. Carolyn was ecstatic that somebody believed her and might try to help. But Roger, the father, wasn't so happy because for a long time he believed that the haunting wasn't real. Mm. It's always how it is. (laughs) Could you imagine, like, living in a house with all this stuff happening and you're like, nah. There's always the one, like, sceptical family member, though, that just won't have it until they're, like, literally thrown across the room and, like, killed. (laughs) Well, no spoilers. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Um, So the Warrens began to investigate the alleged haunting. They said that the spirits were attached to the property... Eight generations of one extended family had lived and died at the farm. After some research, they found, along with the help of Caroline, that virtually every entity that they were able to name that was like haunting them mm-hmm. when they were living in the house had either died by their own hand or died a death so traumatic that they may actually not know they were dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do we go into like how they died or no? Um, a little bit. Okay. So, Ed and Lorraine claimed that a woman lived in the house in the 1800s named Bathsheba Sherman, who was suspected of witchcraft. Bathsheba cursed the land before she died, and anyone who lived there mysteriously died. 
The Black Book of Burnville, the town's former public records book, reveals that over the course of its existence, the property had... Oh my god, this is... Yeah, alright, okay. Okay, so basically two suicides happened by hanging in the house. One suicide by poison, a rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl by a farmhand, two drownings, and the passing of four men who froze to death, and a few other tragic losses. Not good. No, not good <laughs> Not a great all. history. So Bathsheba turned her sights onto Carolyn, causing her harm and even possessing her. Um, so Bathsheba was born in Rhode Island in 1812. She married fellow Rhode Island Judson Sherman, um, who was a year older than her. Um, the two were married by Vernon Stiles, a local justice of the peace. Um, Bathsheba filled the role of housewife while her husband worked as a farmer on their land. Fairly well off, Bathsheba and Judson had a son, Herbert Sherman. He was born when... Herbert Sherman. Oh. Yeah. What? It reminds me of like Herbert Sherman. It just sounded like it rhymed for a second. But Can I give you Ziggy? Does. He's like falling off my lap and mildly distracting me. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> You're such a drama queen. Do you need your blankie? He's like, no, mother, I am not a child. But you are. But you are. You are, baby. <laughs> he does not look impressed. No, I'm sorry, honey, but you were kicking me. Um. So, yeah, she had her son when she was actually 37 years old, which is unusual. Oh, my God. Look at him. <laughs> He's like an actual baby. It feels like I'm holding a baby and it's like He's like the perfect size for a baby. Like I can hold him on my hip like moms yeah. do with like one hand and then like I often do it when I'm cooking so I'll like cook with one hand and hold him on my hip That's like so with the funny. other. But right now he's like snuggled his little like face into Kira's chest and he's like all swaddled up in a little blanket like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, she had her baby at 37 years old which that's unusual for now, let alone, like, back, back in then. the day, yeah. I'm surprised she actually, like, survived through childbirth at that age. Yeah, back when they were having babies at, like, 13. Yeah. <laughs> um, they had other children, but none of them, like, survived past the age of seven, which was pretty common yeah. for, like, that time. So no one thinks she murders them, but, like, who, who knows? Um, That's what she wants you to think. Yes. <laughs> Um, so suspicion grew around Bathsheba when an infant mysteriously died in her care. When the baby was examined, it was determined that the mortal wound was caused by a large sewing needle that had been impaled at the back of the base of the child's skull. Though the townspeople believed that Bathsheba had sacrificed the infant as an offering to the devil, due to insufficient evidence, a court found that she was innocent of any wrongdoing. Despite her name being cleared legally, the public was not so convinced. So the local law says that Bathsheba was a witch who made a pact with the devil in which she was granted youthful beauty, but at a high cost. She was turned into stone upon her death. As, she, as a ghost, she was condemned to torture people, possibly out of jealousy for the beauty that she could never regain to be hers. So Bathsheba was known to also treat the help really badly and that she starved and beat um the farm staff so like she wasn't like a super popular lady so yeah okay i don't yeah i don't think anyone really <laughs> liked her um so she actually died as an old woman on may 25th 19 no 1885 um roughly four years after her husband 
So there are different stories about her death that her body literally turned to stone, like the law (laughs) says, or that she died from a bizarre form of paralysis that puzzled and frightened doctors. But honestly, it's not truly known exactly how she died. It was the stone. Yeah. Let's be real. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be really cool if she was like stoned and still on the property. Yeah, that would be cool. Creepy, but cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... So back to the story. Carolyn told Ed and Lorraine about an incident that had happened a few years earlier. She said that she had been lying on the sofa and all of a sudden felt a piercing type of pain in her calf and then the muscle began to spasm. Upon ex- so she got a cramp. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. Upon examination, she noticed a puddle of blood at the point of impact. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. She checked for bees or anything else that could have caused the puncture in her leg but found nothing. In her daughter's book, Andrea Perrin describes the wound as a perfectly concentric circle, as if a large sewing needle had impaled her skin. Yuck. Yeah, so very spooky. Yeah, I didn't like that. When Carolyn told Ed and Lorraine Warren this story in conjunction with the tale of Bathsheba Sherman, who had been suspected... Yeah, I should have cut more of that out. Hang on. (laughs) So Lorraine suggested that Bathsheba Sherman could have taken the needle with her into the afterlife and used it to stab Carolyn in the calf. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the warren's investigation of the perrin family case came to an end when roger perrin ordered them to get the hell out of the house after a seance in which carolyn began speaking in a strange language and levitated in her chair and was thrown across the room okay i told you spoilers yeah (laughs) did Uh, she die though (laughs) uh, no okay Andrea Perrin quoted in her book, The only time I was ever truly frightened was during the seance. There are no words that adequately express that event. The family stayed away from the dirt-floored cellar, which was a spirit hotspot, apparently, except when the house's heating equipment would fail, forcing Roger to make repairs. He would go downstairs and feel this cold, sinking presence behind him. Lorraine insists that many of the movie's harrowing moments actually happened. The things that went on there were just so incredibly frightening, she says, citing her own investigation nearly 40 years ago. It still affects me to this day to talk about. So you may be wondering why the family endured the haunting for so long. They say they think they were supposed to have this experience and share it with the world, but honestly, they couldn't afford to move. Yeah, like okay. putting all your money into a like fourteen bedroom townhouse would kind of like drain your bank account. Yeah. So the Warrens continued to visit the family over the next decade. However, their best intention intended efforts did not alleviate the para- paranormal activity at the house. The parents claim that oh, text message. The parents <laughs> claim <is> popular. <laughs> it was from Domino's. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if I got one too. <laughs> Do people even text anymore? Oh. Uh, I remember a boy asked me. me a little while ago for like my number so he could text me and I was just like, ew, no. I don't text like, like I occasionally text like you, like we sometimes text, but only I, like I'm at your house. Like, yeah. Or if I like <laughs> need something really important. Like. Yeah. I text my dad, but yeah, no, I don't really text like Oh yeah, I text friends. my mum, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, yeah, none of my friends. <laughs> Um, so yeah, however, their best efforts did not alleviate the paranormal activity at the house. The parents claim that the Warrens didn't do anything to make the ghost leave. In fact, they made everything worse. So the man who moved in to begin the restoration of the house when the parents sold it 
left screaming without his car, without his tools, and without his clothing. He never okay. went. Yeah, he never went back to the house, and consequently, the people who owned it, the adjacent landowners, never moved in, and it sat sat vacant for years. Mm. The current owner is Norma Sutcliffe, um, and stated that she and her husband Jerry have had far less intense experiences in the farmhouse including the door banging in the front hall, sounds of people talking in other rooms, the sounds of footsteps accompanied by a door opening in another room, and her husband's chair vibrating in the study. Do we know if she is related at all to the, like, eight generations or whatever that owned the house before her? No, I think it's just been kind of, like, passed on to a couple different owners, but this is who lives there now. Okay, but yeah, yeah, she didn't, like, inherit it or anything, though. It was just... Oh, not from them, anyway. Yeah, no. Um, so the only things that were ever visible to them were a blue light that Norma saw shoot across the bedroom and her husband once thought he saw a fog in the home. Norma stressed that she always looks at things from a scientific standpoint and that she has never jumped to conclusions over any of these minor experiences in the home. Since the movie's release, Norma has endured an ongoing barrage of trespassers and onlookers. To fight back, she spent months gathering evidence to disprove both of both Andrea Perrin's story and the movie. The movie being The Conjuring. Yes. Just for anyone who forgot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Perrin family was actually invited onto the set for the filming and production production of The Conjuring. Oh, true. Yeah. At first, all of them were willing to go, but just beforehand, Carolyn changed her mind and decided not to attend. Um, people think that maybe she just didn't want to, like, dig up that part of her past that she had tried so hard to move on from yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, So, yeah. But the rest of the family still went to visit the set. Um, Andrea Perrin claims that a wind came out of nowhere and swept through the facility. It knocked down anything in its path, including cameras, lights, and people. The family- That's a strong wind. <laughs> That's not a breeze. That's a wind. <laughs> um, the family immediately assumed that the wind was part of what they called Bathsheba's curse. At the same time that the wind blew through, Carolyn fell and broke... Wait, it's Carolyn didn't come. Andrea? Yeah, it must be Andrea fell and broke her hip. Ooh. No, hang on. Okay, I obviously got that from two different sources. And yeah, one... Maybe it was one of the daughters that didn't want to go or something. Yeah. Anyway, someone broke their hip. Okay, and someone didn't want to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, I'm ending my very last story excellently. So... <laughs> So yeah, they claim that Bathsheba didn't want her story exposed. Yeah, true. It's cool that they filmed it at the actual house. I didn't know that was... Like, I didn't even know about the parent haunting, really, but... Oh, no, they said it was... It's not at the same house. Oh, sorry, I thought you said they the set was at the house. No, sorry. Oh, okay, yeah, because you said that normal lady didn't want... Yeah. Like, wasn't a fan or whatever. Have you seen the picture of, like, the parent house? It's actually, like, not that cool. Like, it wouldn't have made for good for a good set yeah, yeah. okay because um, yeah that's the conjuring movie one right i think so i'm not gonna lie i've only watched the conjuring once and it was when it first came out like eight years ago yeah same <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's like that one but that's like the like original farmhouse there oh okay yeah, like it's enough. all right but it just wouldn't like film well i don't yeah, know yeah true yeah fair enough okay well that's oh, cool that's my first story done and dusted just fyi this is gonna be a really long episode it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be a long episode. In saying that though, your story didn't go for too long. Like you, like you said, it was a shortish story, and it was yeah. so um. Yeah, it only went for like twenty minutes. Yeah, we might be okay. I feel like it won't be any more than like two hours max. Even <laughs> that though was like pushing it. <laughs> um, 
Are you alright with yeah, that? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, for now, I'll let you know if, um, if he becomes an issue. <laughs> I'm excited to hear what your story is. It is. Do you have your contacts in? Yes. No. Sorry, I had to drive and get breakfast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all good. Um, I just like shifted my laptop for those of you who cannot see what I'm doing, which is everyone. I'm sure they can <laughs> hear it because when we move things around on the table, it really picks up in the audio. Yeah. Um, so I am covering the long-anticipated Men in Black. Dun, dun, dun. Sorry, you got to <laughs> sing this song. <laughs> I don't remember how it goes. Here comes the Men in Black. <laughs> Galaxy Defender. Okay, yeah, I didn't even know that bit. But <laughs> oh, <true. laughs> um, now it's probably a good time to confess that I haven't actually watched the Men in Black movies. <gasps> I'm sure I watched even them. Ziggy got yeah. up. Then. <laughs> I'm sure I watched them as a kid, probably oh at some point. But like, yeah, I've never really like I couldn't tell you what the plot line is, other than it's got Will Smith in it, oh and God. I think they fight aliens or something. <laughs> true. Um, me and my stepdad bonded over movies a lot and I remember like Men in Black was like one that we like would actually like watch together and like Jurassic Park and stuff so oh, true. I was yeah. into all those kinds of movies as a kid Star Wars was the movie that my dad made oh, me watch <laughs> god I hate Star Wars yeah we used to go to the cinemas to see the Star Wars movies oh, I dated a boy like for a, like quite a few years like we lived together and stuff but like a while ago and oh my god he was so into Star Wars oh, really? and like I always had to watch them and it was just oh it was just the worst yeah true hate star wars i am in like i find it a bit boring the movies i don't know yeah so i'm indifferent to like it. i just don't i'm just gonna get it there's a lot there's a lot of them and they're really long and there's a lot going on and i feel like it's almost just a cult that you can't kind of join unless you were like like i don't feel like i could dive into the star wars fandom right now like there's so much content out there like there's tv shows there's like all of the movies like i'd have to dedicate like a year to couching up on everything yep. yeah um, but yeah anyway um i will probably watch the men in black movies at some point although i've heard the latest one is not very good oh yeah we're not watching that it doesn't have Will smith in it <laughs> that doesn't exist that's not real um, we'll watch them on a movie night okay okay so I just started reading my unedited notes for like 10 minutes, so I'm restarting on my edited notes. Um, but yeah, okay. Let's do this. So I'm sure we're all familiar with The Men in Black from the hit movies starring Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. But for those of you sheltered enough to not know who they are, not to have not seen the movie, but to not know who they are, because I know who they are, I just haven't seen the movie. <laughs> um, they are men who dress in black suits and often appear in UFO conspiracy theory stories. So in the movie, their job is essentially to protect the Earth from the, quote, scum of the universe. However, the truth, as far as we know, isn't quite that. Um, so their role in these stories, I'm oh, sorry, in like the UFO, UFO conspiracy theory stories, is generally that they appear to harass, threaten or assassinate UFO and other strange phenomena witnesses to keep them quiet about what they have seen. Um, and so they're known to even attempt to do this with, like, law enforcement officers and military personnel as well. So sometimes those kind of people are involved. And they sometimes show up just to warn people to, like, give up any research or anything that they're doing into that kind of stuff too. So not even just people who have, like, seen those things, but anyone looking too far into them. 
So the term is also frequently used to describe mysterious men working for unknown organizations, as well as various branches of government, allegedly designed to protect secrets or perform other strange activities. The term is generic, used for any unusual, threatening, or strangely behaved individual whose appearance on the scene can be linked in some fashion with a UFO sighting. They apparently also often claim to be representatives of the nation of the Third Eye. I do not know what that is. I don't really either, but um, according... I just want to put out there that, like, when you start researching the men in black, shit gets, like, really deep. Like, some people are really... Like, I was reading about, like, star seeds and stuff. Do you know what star seeds are? No. They're, like, people put on Earth who are apparently, like, have originated from, like, space and shit, and there's, like, all these people who are convinced they're star seeds, and, like... Okay. It it gets crazy, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so Nation of the Third Eye, I think, is one of those, like, hardcore conspiracy theorist concepts. But basically, according to author John Keel, who has written many books about UFOs, the Nation of the Third Eye is what the men in black often state they are representatives of. Um, And basically, my understanding, in short, is that... I don't really even know what it is, but it's related to the Eye of Horus or something, which is often used as the all-seeing eye insignia of the men in black, apparently. Okay. So, just an association that's, like, very spiritual and all-seeing and, like, yeah. Um, And so the third eye has been the center of spiritual power in most cultures, such as Hinduism, Buddhism, or a lot of cultures, sorry. Um, But yeah, Hinduism, Buddhism, Buddhism... (laughs) Judaism, Catholicism, and many Native American religions. Um, And so this John Keel guy has also claimed to have had encounters with men in black and referred to them as demonic supernaturals with dark skin and or exotic facial features. So that's like his take on them. Um, But why would the government want to suppress information about UFOs? Because when people thought that a virus (laughs) was going to kill them... Yeah, they literally. lost their absolute garbage. So if they thought UFOs were coming, oh my god, I couldn't even imagine how the human race Can you would imagine? Like, oh. People, get your shit together like, so that we can finally know about aliens. Yes, please. seriously. <laughs> but yeah, no, so it's generally believed that this is because aliens are a lot closer to us than some may think. They might actually be everywhere. Yeah, hi. <laughs> And if ordinary citizens realized just how real the threat was, there would be a mass panic and a breakdown of the social order, which we could not have. So there is generally like a bit of a lack of information about the men in black and their existence, which I remember you kind of mentioning, because didn't you say you like briefly tried to cover them once? Yeah, briefly. And like, I think this is one of those things where you can't just kind of rely on like the first three pages of Google. You've got to yeah, kind of know yeah, where yeah. to look. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, no, that is true. Like, you, yeah. When you Google men and black, you have to go, like, pretty deep to get To get past the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but, yeah, no, I managed to get a fair bit of information on them. Um, yeah, okay, so just some context on, like, who they are, I suppose. So they generally appear unannounced and uninvited, clad in black business suits. They are known for their unusual facial features, um... For example, big unhuman eyes, no eyebrows, which like attacked, (laughs) and incredibly pale skin as well as their unusual behavior. 
So they've been described as having monotone robotic voices and they usually travel in groups of two or three and drive black cars. Not just any black cars, they're normally in like bougie like SUV black cars. <laughs> um, so there have also apparently been very limited sightings of women in black. Or okay. female men in blacks. <laughs> Maybe they're kind of like a gender neutral Possibly. Society. My theory is like... There's no information on women in black, really. But my theory is that maybe, like, the men in black are the ones that go out and kind of interact with people. And there's, like, some kind of, like, space station where the women in black just do, like, If you say, like, work. the data entry and stuff, no, I'll No, no, no. More so just, like, they're, like, the brains behind the operation. And okay. then the men in black are kind of the ones that go out. They're and, the like, muscle. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> how I kind of am imagining it. <laughs> okay. I'm like, all right. Yeah, not just data entry. I don't think entry, that's too but... sexist. Just a little bit. But it's all right. So, yeah, there aren't a lot of cases of women in black. Um, I don't have any examples, but apparently that is a thing that some people have claimed they've seen. Or they could be gender neutral, like you said. That's mm. also a possibility. But yeah, so the word black also doesn't just refer to the colour of their suits. Uh, the word black also means covert, undercover, or not seen. So when... A person enters the intelligence community and becomes involved in operations and projects or like sketchy undercover operations and projects. All of their government files basically disappear. So they are not they are no longer accessible through the normal channels. And when this happens, it is said that the person has gone black. Um, yeah, so basically black just refers to like anything undercover. Secret, undercover government stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, and so some also believe that there may be like a split between good men in black and bad men in black. Good so, bad cop. Yeah, but like we don't really know whether they're good or bad like because we don't really know what their purpose is. Um, so yeah, some believe that it could just be... Yeah. Like some are good, some are bad. There may even be, like we'll get into this a bit later, but like different... What's the word? Branches of them, I suppose. That would make sense. But yeah, we'll get into that later. The Mothman men in black, the UFO men in black. Yeah, yeah, or more so What like... else have we talked about them in? Uh... Mothman, um... We've brought them up so many times and now I can't think of anything. Yeah, I can't think of any either. They do come up in a lot of cryptid cases, though. I feel like there was another cryptid you did maybe a while ago. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> um... And yeah, so while they are, oh, I'm literally just about to go into the cryptid stuff. So while they are mostly associated with extraterrestrial or UFO sightings, they also do sometimes appear after other supernatural or paranormal sightings, including cryptid sightings. Yeah, so as Jesse mentioned in, um, I have put as Jesse mentioned last week, but that's not right. <laughs> in the last episode. Yeah, as Jesse mentioned in the last episode. They have been seen after Mothman sightings, as well as after Dover demon sightings, which neither of us have covered. Oh, I wish, I wish we could cover those. They sound cool. It's fine. It's yeah. Fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So they appeared after sightings of those cryptids, and apparently told witnesses of both these creatures not to talk about their experiences. And there was that one dude that like stole that lady's pen and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that like army rolled into like a black car up the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, and so when the skunk ape slash Bigfoot phenomenon was popular, a group investigating him had a hair sample stolen from them by two men in sunglasses and dark suits driving a black sedan who were also obviously believed to be men in black. Um, yeah, so just a little bit on their like origin, I suppose. Um, they figure predominantly in UFO ufology, UFOlogy, <laughs> and UFO folklore. Um, in the 1950s and 1960s, UFOologists... Is it UFOologist or UFOlogist? UFOlogist? I think it would be UFOlogist. UFOlogist. I have no idea. I Honestly, know. I have no idea. <laughs> I feel like that rolls off the tongue a bit easier. Yeah. UFOlogists adopted a conspiratorial mindset and began to fear that they would be subject to organized intimidation in retaliation for discovering, quote... The truth of the UFOs. And this is when stories of the men in black started to circle. So, yeah. Um, the first appearance of men in black in film was in John Sayles' 1984 film The Brother from Another Planet. In this film, John Sayles himself and David Stratham, Stratham both credited both credited as men in black, are aliens in search of an escaped alien slave. So that was like the first time they appeared in movies. Okay, and so this is just like a bit of a tangent. I didn't really know where to fit this in. But they're also like quite heavily associated with black helicopters, which are like their own kind of conspiracy, I suppose. Okay, I haven't heard of this bit. So. Um, but yeah, I just have a little bit in here about black, hel- black helicopters. So in the United States militia movement, black helicopters are a symbol of an alleged conspiratorial military takeover of the United States, though they have also been associated with UFOs, men in black, and similar conspiracies. So abductees, contactees, and people who have had UFO encounters have often reported being followed by black helicopters. Stories of black helicopters first appeared in the 1970s and were linked to reports of cattle mutilation, which, for those of you that don't know, is like often linked to UFOs and stuff. Like aliens basically just come and fuck up our cows, which is like pretty. Yeah, I feel like one of the, that's like one of the OG like alien yeah kind of conspiracies. Yeah, um, and so theories about these helicopters are basically that they're either government aircraft or possibly even aircraft disguise. Oh, sorry. Possibly even UFOs disguised as helicopters. Or both. Dun dun dun. <laughs> and like, there's no <laughs> black like helicopters in like the US military or anything? Uh, no. Oh, like, I think there are certain branches of like the government, I suppose, that have black helicopters, but I don't know whether they're like different to these because these are just like weird unmarked black helicopters kind of thing. Okay. But, like, as I said, the theory is that they're either government aircraft or UFO aircraft kind of thing. So, yeah. like, they could just be government helicopters. But either way, if they are government helicopters, a lot of people believe that they're, like... A branch of the government Super secret in kind yeah, of... Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not just, like, basic military helicopters. Um, but, yeah. So... Believers in UFO conspiracy theories often claim... Oh yeah, unmarked, I suppose, is the key word here. Unmarked black helicopters are seen in the vicinity after UFO sightings. 
um, the theory being that the choppers belong to an alleged secretive government department who cover up evidence of alien visits and UFOs from the general public. Um, so unconfirmed sources say that these black helicopters may belong to the US Army 160th SOAR Division, if that means anyone anything to anyone. <laughs> and so the helicopters are black or in some cases a very, very dark green. And they are apparently like stealth aircraft technology, which means they can't be detected by radars. And apparently these craft are also made available to other government agencies, including but not limited to the CIA, FEMA, which is the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and NSA. And so just another little tangent before we get back to Men in Black. That's another thing, like when you're researching the Men in Black, there's so many like... Um. So the 160th SOAR thing is like Special Operations Aviation Regiment, and it's okay. for like attack, assault, and... I, I can't say that word. Reconnaissance, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So basically they're just like super secret helicopters. <laughs> that attack people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So also when researching the men in black, there's so many freaking tangents for like other conspiracy theories because they're just like involved. Like this, for example, like it was like they're also associated with black helicopters and then it's like and black helicopters are associated with this other conspiracy group. Um, but yeah, no, I did find this interesting, so just like really quick little tangent here to do with black helicopters. Um, so one of the government agencies people think might use these craft is FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and that in itself also has a conspiracy surrounding it. So this is the organi organization in America anyway that you hear about when like there's been hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes or like any other major kind of catastrophes. Um, and so FEMA apparently managed the funds that are, like, allocated out by the government to help places, like, recover from these events. So, like, natural disasters, basically. Okay. Um, and so when looking into black operations, black being, like, the undercover operations, um, FEMA often comes up a lot when you're, like, looking into that kind of stuff. So a lot of people believe that FEMA is actually, like, a cover-up government agency. Okay. And that they use that to cover the funds that they're directing into, like, black undercover operations, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and apparently, I don't live in America and I don't really know much about it, really, but apparently it's hard to get money for, like, natural disasters and stuff. Like, they don't really want to give money out, even though they apparently have all of this money. So people yeah. think it's because they're, like... They're actually using that money somewhere else. They're funneling it to, like, undercover, like, secret operations, basically. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> So there's that too. Anyway, back to the men in black. Yeah, this... Uh, researching this was like a trippy experience, hey? <laughs> um, so yeah, nobody knows if these guys are government agents, aliens themselves, or just a group of intelligence operatives trying to keep a secret. Um, but they are, regardless of what they are, essentially viewed as like being damage control personnel. So they're... Whatever they are or wherever they're from, they're sent out to damage control when it comes to, like, aliens and UFOs and cryptids and stuff. Um, so I'm just going to go over some of the, like, theories I found on Reddit threads. Because that's the kind of only place I could really get theories on what they were. <laughs> um, so first one is from user expat freedom. And I didn't write down which subreddits these were from because they're just all over the place. But that's the username. 
Um, so they say, I'm of the opinion that there might be two or even three or more groups. The ones with creepy eyes, pale skin, no eyebrows and hair that looks like it was glued on might be alien. And the government or some other group may have known about this phenomenon and decided to copy it with their own agents in order to intimidate witnesses into silence. Which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. So next one is from Human Jones. Is their username? I'm really a human, trust me. I get my name. (laughs) Yeah, suspicious. (laughs) Um, So they say, I've been looking for any reports I can find on these dudes for years now. It started with my fascination concerning the Mandala effect. Mandela? Mandala? Oh, God. Let's not even <laughs> yeah, go there. That thing, like, really trips me out, hey? Yeah, you guys can Google that if you want to know what that is or don't already know what that or is. Or even just watch the movie. The movie's, like, enough to, like, mess Oh, is there a movie? Up. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know about the movie. True. Um, unpopular opinion, but I don't actually believe in the Mandela effect. <gasps> yeah, no. Okay. But we, yeah, another time. <laughs> That's one of the few conspiracies I don't really believe in. So yeah, he says they seem. Oh, they say they seem to be able to change or manipulate reality and time. And it's not just UFOs. There's reports of them being present concerning cryptids and all things paranormal. Really, I also suspect they may be related to the shadow apparition known as the Hat Man. Ooh, did he come up in my Hat Man story? The men in black? Yeah. Oh, they might have actually. You might I know have they came up them. in my UFO story for Westall, which I think yeah. is what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I could see them being the hat man though. Ew. That's weird that they can like infiltrate your dreams. Though. Yeah, I don't like that at all. <laughs> um, so they go on to say, I have a theory that the powers that be... Oh, wait, sorry. I have a theory that the powers that be don't want the majority of people to realize that the paranormal is real. If people do realize this, they may connect the dots that the evil bot. This is just a quote. The evil bastards ruling our world are working. I mean, I don't disagree with it, but <laughs> are working hand in hand with evil interdimensional entities. That's why there's a big push of the narrative that aliens are extraterrestrial as opposed to interdimensional. Maybe the men in black are doing their part to cover up paranormal events. I gotta say, they're just as mysterious today as the moment I began to research them years ago. Which actually, like, I do find that kind of interesting, like, considering they've been a thing since, like, the 50s is when they first started to, like, be talked about. Like, there really isn't a lot of information on them, hey? Like, you'd think. Are there recent sightings of them, like, in the last 20 years? Um, yes. It depends on, like, because I'm going to go over some, like, official, like, documented kind of, like, in the news sightings. And then there's also just people on Reddit who are like, I... I'm pretty sure I saw them kind of thing. So depends what you count as like an official sighting. Okay. Although there is one. No, there are, there are some like documented sightings in like recent years. So yeah, no, I'm going to say yes. Okay. Um, oh yeah. And so there's also a theory that the men in black are cyborgs sent to earth to hush up alien. Yeah. I don't like that either. (laughs) Cyborgs really bother me. Oh, I couldn't find any more information on that. Okay, good. Yeah. It's not real. Cyborgs aren't real. It's fine. I don't know much about cyborgs. Aren't they just like robots or whatever? Oh, just the Terminator movies just really scared me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I never watched them. Um, and so there's quite a few theories, or not even theories, but like, apparently the military also doesn't know what the fuck they are. 
which is pretty crazy because like if they are government agents you'd think it like the higher up military people would probably have a bit of an idea of what they're doing but well, um, let's be real the military probably has one or two of them locked in a basement somewhere and yeah i mean we can't really trust like obviously these are a few quotes of military like personnel being like yeah we don't know anything about them and i suppose like that's all lies yeah <laughs> But in 1967, the United States Air Force expressed concern about finding out more about these guys in black who were going around scaring people and saying they were from the U.S. Armed Services. Maybe, just because you're like, those guys in black, maybe it's like the clown thing where it was just like some like big conspiracy where people are like, let's just dress up as the man in black and like freak out some normies. That is possible. <laughs> the only... The only, like, issue with that would be that a lot of the sightings, apparently, they're, like, they have the weird faces and, mm. like, weird skin tone. Which, I mean, you could still pull off with makeup, but, like... It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of effort. But also, the clown <laughs> stuff was also a lot of effort and people still did it. That was so. fucking... Like, can you believe that happened? No, I can't. <laughs> Do you remember how, like, people would come to, like, people's doors with, like, machetes and stuff dressed as clowns and, like, yeah. bang on their doors and stuff? I do remember. <laughs> that happened when I first moved out of home, like, on my own. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I'd lived in share houses for ages, but then I decided to live on my own. Yeah. And that was when it first happened. And I was living in, like, an old Queenslander and stuff. Like, it, it was, like, oh, my God. It was fucking terrifying. I yeah. thought I was for sure going to get murdered by a clown that for was so long. That was a weird time. <laughs> yeah, I think you lived by yourself at that point, too, didn't you? I think I did, too, but I was in a granny flat. So, like, I lived in my own building, but I also had a family living, like, right next door that, yeah. like, I could quite... Like, I wasn't too concerned. And you had to, like, get in through the garage and stuff. Like, it just wasn't easy to get to. Yeah. Wasn't the same as living in a Queenslander by myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, my yard was really huge, so, like, I was... Like, if I screamed, I don't think my neighbours really would have heard me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Okay, so in 1967, the United States Air Force, yeah, expressed concern, blah, blah, blah. Um, so this is a quote or, like, statement from Colonel. Just a fun fact, you know how Colonel is spelled colonel? Oh, my God. I have, yeah, I have so many issues with that. It bothers me so uh, for much. For the first, like, 15, like, until just recently, I didn't realize colonel was colonel. Oh, really? And I used to be like, colonel, George P. Freeman. <laughs> You've never said it on, like, an episode, though, have oh, you? Oh, no, like... I've discovered it maybe when I was like 17, 18. Oh, okay. Like I've known for a few years now, but it was like a while okay. before I like That's really figured funny. it out. Colonel George P. Freeman. And I also only figured it out because of Cluedo, because there's Colonel Mustard. And I remembered playing it as a kid and being like, <laughs> but his name is Colonel Mustard. And then I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Are they the same? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Colonel George P. Freeman, the spokesperson for Project Blue Book, which is just another fucking tangent that we're not going into right now. <laughs> Project Blue Book was essentially, from memory, I think, like the first investigation into aliens and the Uf and UFOs that the government did. Okay. But yeah, so he says, mysterious men dressed in Air Force uniforms or all in black. Oh yeah, I don't think I mentioned that earlier, but they also often pretend to be like Air Force and military personnel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so dressed in Air Force uniforms or all in black and bearing impressive credentials from government agencies have been silencing UFO witnesses. We have checked a number of these cases and these men are not connected to the Air Force in any way. We haven't been able to find out anything about these men. By posing as Air Force officers and government agents, they are committing a federal offence. We would sure like to catch one, unfortunately. The, tri the trail is always too cold by the time we hear about these cases, but we are trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Assistant Vice Chief of Staff of the United States Air Force, 
LT, Lieutenant General Hewitt T. <laughs> we list all Air Force things are really hard to say. That one's like an entire sentence. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Anyway, so he also sent a memo on March 1st of 1967 to various agencies in the Department of Defense saying, information not verifiable has reached H headquarters, a government place, (laughs) that persons claiming to represent the Air Force or other defense establishments have contacted citizens who have cited unidentified flying objects. In one reported case, an individual in civilian clothes who represented himself as a member of NORAD, which is some kind of government agency, um, demanded and received photos belonging to a private citizen. In another, a person in an Air Force uniform approached local police and other citizens who had sighted a UFO, assembled them in a schoolroom and told them that they did not see what they thought they saw and that they should not talk to anyone about the sighting that wasn't your that was mine yeah that was your case hey all military and civilian personnel and particularly information officers and ufo investigating officers who hear of such reports should immediately notify their local osi officers so that's what the military has had to say about it back in the 60s um yeah so now we're just gonna get into some cases of people encountering the men in black So there have been hundreds, if not thousands, of alleged encounters with the men in black. Um, A lot of them reported by UFO researchers and enthusiasts. You want to go to mine? You want to come here? It's like a spruce. (laughs) Oh, you're so warm and toasty. (laughs) So... So yeah, I'm kind of going to go through them chronologically, I suppose. So the earliest account of someone encountering the men in black is that of Harold Dull, um, just after the Maury Island incident. So the Maury Island incident occurred on the 21st of June in 1947. Oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, Sigmund, are you okay? He is an alien, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah... June in 1947, and it refers to claims made by Fred Crisman and Harold Dahl of falling debris and threats by men in black following sightings of unidentified flying objects in the sky over Maury Island in Puget Sound. So the story comes from a report by Kenneth Arnold, who was an aviator that had claimed to have seen several UFOs in the area around that time. And just fun fact, this Kenneth Arnold guy's ufo sightings were apparently the first ufo sightings ever recorded in like modern history um but yeah so crimen and doll wait is it crimen chrisman sorry chrisman and doll um just relayed their story to this kenneth arnold guy and he was the one that actually like kind of published it or made a report about it so they claimed to Arnold that they were harbour patrolmen on a work boat near Maury Island and that they saw six donut-shaped objects in the sky. So according to Chrisman and Dahl, one of the objects dropped a substance that resembled lava or white metal onto their boat. Um, and so this substance broke a worker's arm and also killed their dog that was on the boat. <gasps> no. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dahl also claimed that he was later approached by a man in a dark suit and told not to talk about the incident. Arnold was convinced by their story and contacted an Air Force intelligence officer who flew in along with another from California. 
The officers concluded the metal objects were aluminium and not of interest. They did not reveal this to Arnold, however, because they didn't want to embarrass him. <laughs> and then weirdly enough, the off- uh, like I didn't look too far into this, but apparently both of those officers died in a crash on their way back to California. Oh. So I don't know what, what happened there, but apparently that happened. <laughs> Um, The FBI then proceeded to investigate this case and concluded that the sightings were a hoax. In their files, they noted that Dahl had said that if questioned by authorities, he was going to say it was a hoax because he did not not want any further trouble over the matter after he had, like, been told by the guy in the suit not to talk about it. Um, And, yeah, so essentially he just did that. Like, he told everyone it was a hoax. But not long after all of this, Dahl came out and claimed that the, like, that it wasn't a hoax and that he just made the first confession under duress. So yes, that was the first case of men in black being a thing. Um, So the next case happened in the mid-1950s and involved ufologist Albert K. Bender, who claimed he was visited by men in dark suits who threatened and warned him not to continue investigating UFOs. So Albert Bender was the director of an amateur organization called the International Flying Saucer Bureau, and he believed that he had finally uncovered evidence that UFOs and aliens existed. He had his own publication called Space Review, in which he planned to spread his discovery. This all sounds so cheesy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So before he revealed or like published all of the info that he had, um, he sent it to a friend to proofread and check over. Which, like, cute. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, it is believed that during him, like, giving it to his friend, that's when he caught the attention of the men in black. So a couple of days after sending his work off, he was in bed when he suddenly had a dizzy spell and noticed several dark shapes in the room with him that slowly materialised into men in black suits, with black hats obscuring their eyes and faces. Okay. (laughs) Their eyes were apparently glowing, and they seemed to speak directly into his mind without, like, spoken words. So it's the weird shadow hat dude. Yeah. But, like, a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah, fuck that. Um, So Bender, in his own 1962 book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, described the men in black in much more frightening language. So this is a quote from the book. They floated about a foot off the floor. They looked like clergymen, but wore hats similar to Homburg style. No, <laughs> fedoras I think is the hat we're thinking of um, so the faces were not clearly discernible for the hats partly hid and shaded them the eyes of all three figures suddenly lit up like flashlight bulbs like cyborgs oh <laughs> don't they seemed to burn into my very soul as the pain as the pains above my eyes became almost unbearable so they made him promise to destroy his findings and cease all of his research into the subject and obviously, like, not publish any of the stuff he was going to publish. And, of course, he was, like, low-key traumatised from this experience, so agreed to do exactly that. Weak. Yeah. <laughs> but many people... Oh, well, yeah. Many people who knew him claimed that Bender was a changed man after this encounter. His later works were described Wait, his as... his name was Bender? That's his last name. Oh, okay. That's yeah. fine. Bender the rover. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm also just thinking of, like, I don't know, some stoner dude that, like, all of his friends call him, like, Bender. Yeah, fair. Because he goes on, like, big benders or something. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fair. Um, so, yeah, his later works were described as rambly um, and almost unreadable. And he 
like apparently just lived his life in constant anxiety and terror after that, which like fair enough. Oh, that's yes. Um, he also said that he received mysterious phone calls after the incident with nobody on the other end until the end of his life in 2002. Aww. So they basically just fucked with him for his whole life. Oh, <laughs> that's sad. Um, and so he maintained until his death that the men in black were secret government agents who had been given the task of suppressing the evidence he had of UFOs. Um, and just like side note, at this point in my research, like while I was typing all of this up, my French doors started shaking violently Ew. and I like, no one was home. It was just me by myself. And I like freaked out because I was like, they're coming for me. <laughs> like, this is it. This is how I kept looking at the front door and expecting to see like hats and like, you know, I have the little window at the top. But I was like, <laughs> so there's anything. No, I don't know why the doors were shaking. It might've been a plane or something. Like mm, You would have heard it. They're so loud at your house. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> but no, nothing happened after that. Um, and so the Men in Black also made an appearance in relation to the Solway Firth Spaceman photo incident in 1964, which I had vaguely heard of, and I imagine maybe other people have also vaguely heard of. Um, but it's this photo here. Okay. That people listening obviously can, can't see. But... I can see it without you doing that. It's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. It's like the, a photo of a little girl, and there's like this weird like spaceman-looking thing behind her. It just looks like a guy in like an astronaut suit. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so the story behind this photo is that a man named Jim Templeton took this photo of his daughter and was shocked to discover the figure in the background. So the figure was not in the camera view when he took the photo and nobody had any idea where it came from or like who it was. Like he said he was by himself the whole, well not by himself, but it was just him and his daughter. Like there shouldn't have been anyone behind her. Um, and so the film that the photo was on was verified as authentic by Kodak, Ooh. the kings of photography. Fancy. <laughs> Um, and after that, Templeton's story went public because they were kind of like, yeah, no, this is legit. So not long after, he was visited by two, quote, government agents who referred to themselves as number nine, number ten. Could you imagine if they're like, you don't have a name anymore, you're number nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> they demanded to see the side of the photo, so like where it was taken, and questioned Templeton about the event. When Templeton told them he didn't see the figure personally, the men became angry and stormed out of the field, never to be seen again. Templeton was later contacted by two employees at a missile launch pad in Australia who claimed that they saw two figures that resembled the man and his daughter's photo appear on launch pad security footage. Why would they call to tell him that? Hi, dude. Oh. I heard you weren't, like, spooked enough, so just so you know, we saw a couple more of them. They're probably coming Yeah, I suppose just to, like, verify it. Like, because this went, like, pretty viral. Like, it was on, yeah. I don't know, the news, I suppose. They didn't have the internet back then. But I suppose just to be, like, we've seen it too. Like, yeah. 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 Okay. Still spooky, though. Um, but, yeah, apparently the missiles at that site in Australia had been produced only 20 miles away from the field where Templeton took the photo. So, oh, so that was in Australia. Yeah, I didn't actually know that, but that was in Australia. Yeah, I must have just, like, glossed over that. But that happened in Australia. Interesting. So, in 1976, this is, like, next case, so we're about 20 years later now, um, Dr. Herbert Hopkins was working as a consultant on a UFO case in Maine. One evening, he received a phone call from someone purporting to be an activist in the UFO community. And so they asked if they could visit Hopkins to discuss the case. As like a, like, you know, I'm also into UFOs. Like, I want to come talk to you about it. I have information or whatever. 
Um, so at this point, he had not like publicized anything about the case that he was working on. So the fact that this person calling knew that he was working on it was just like weird in itself. But despite this, he agreed because I suppose he thought he was going to get some like sick insider information. Um, so yeah, he told the guy he could come over and then he hung up the phone and walked to the front door to turn the porch light on for like when the guy arrived. Why would you just let some random weirdo into your house? This is the UFO community. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess they're all random weirdos. Yeah. Not, not like, no offense. Oh, look. Not that I'm part of the UFO community. Yeah, like I feel like I'm we're a part UFO of it. believer, like, but yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> we're random weirdos too. Yeah, no, like I get it. Um, and he was probably just like thinking he was going to get some sick information that was like once in a lifetime kind of like, you know. Some like, fully sick information. Yeah, sick. <laughs> <laughs> Mad dog information. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he walked over to turn the front porch light on and to his surprise, just like literally not even minutes after the phone call, the man was already walking up the stairs of the porch like, and he could see him from the door. No. Bear in mind as well that cell phones didn't exist at this time. Yeah. To us humans, anyway. <laughs> and, like, he shouldn't have known, like, exactly where it... Yeah, all right. He just... Yeah, he shouldn't have known anything. Like, he shouldn't have even known that this case was, like, being worked on. Um, but, yeah, so the man was wearing a black suit and black tie and had very unusual facial features. Um, so he didn't have hair or eyebrows and he had an extremely pale figure. Hopkins' dog began barking erratically at the minute the man entered the home, which, like, isn't that crazy? Like, dogs bark, but it's still weird. So the man in black informed Hopkins that there were two coins in Hopkins' pocket, which was correct. Um, so he asked him to remove one of the coins. Hopkins complied and held the coin in the palm of his hand. The man in black told Hopkins to watch the coin closely. After a few moments, the coin took on a silvery appearance and then appeared to be going out of focus. It then began to fade and eventually disappeared altogether. The man in black informed Hopkins that the coin would never be seen, quote, on this plane again. Yeah. <laughs> he then inquired as to whether Hopkins was familiar with alleged UFO abductee Barney Hill from the Betty and Barney Hill case that I covered recently. Yeah. Um... And, like, quick reminder, Barney died, like, not long after the UFO incident. And then it was just Betty. Oh, so is this, like, a threat? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. Yeah, so he asked if he was familiar with Barney Hill, who had died at that point, And Hopkins replied that he had heard of Hill, but was under the impression that he had died in the not-too-distant past. Um, and the man in black informed Hopkins that was correct. So he said, Barney didn't have a heart, just like you no longer have a coin. <laughs> oh, my God. So unnecessary. Um, yeah. However, it should be noted that Barney Hill actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Like, cerebral. technically. Cerebral hemorrhage, technically. But, like, it's the men in black. Fuck knows what they did. Like, they could have taken his heart and, like, covered it up as, like, you know, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know. <laughs> Spooky. Um, but, yeah, so the men in black then gently suggested that Hopkins destroy any material he had related to the UFO case he was working on. The man then said his energy was running low and left. Which, like, me at social events. <laughs> um, so shortly after stepping off Hopkins' porch, the man himself completely disappeared. Hop oh my god, it's like when that guy was like... I was going to throw this in with the Ouija board story, but I'm just going to go on a really quick tangent. Remember how that guy was, like, ringing at my doorbell oh, yeah. heaps that night, like, not long after the, oh. like, Ouija board thing? Yes, yeah, yeah, Dan thinks it's linked. Because, yeah, like, I never saw him leave. I just told him to leave, and then he was, like, magically gone. Oh, that's, yeah, I don't like that. No, me neither. No. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, Hopkins was obviously extremely shaken by the encounter, and as such, he followed the advice of the man and burned all of the files he had related to the case. Um, and he also apparently had repeated phone troubles afterwards. Not that, like, the last guy was just getting weird phone calls, but this guy apparently was having phone troubles. Because they don't want him to talk to anyone. Yeah, well, he rang his phone company and they said that his line had been tampered with. Ooh, yeah. spooky. And so he kind of thinks maybe they, like, tapped his line or something. But anyway, he never saw the man again and he didn't release the stuff he had on the case. Um, That's sad. Like, yeah. I feel like there's so much stuff we could know but we don't know because of these guys. Yeah. Thanks, men in black. <laughs> yeah, rude. Um, and yeah, so now for some more, like, they're like the famous historic kind of counter- encounters, I suppose. These are more just like general public ones. Um, so one of the more popular men in black incidents is when they were supposedly caught on security footage in Niagara Falls, Canada. Oh. I didn't know Niagara Falls was in Canada until I was reading this. I've seen this. some pictures, <laughs> but I haven't seen any videos. Oh, true. Well, yeah, this is a video. Um, so just quickly before I play it for you, this is the like YouTube video description. So it says, this incident took place in Niagara Falls, Canada. The original source of this video is from the Aerial Phenomenon Investigations team in MD. For complete details about this incident, contact Antonio Paris from API. I have no further details about this incident. Quote from the video source, I work with the Aerial Phenomenon Investigations team based in MD. One recent UFO investigation yielded actual footage of men in black on a hotel lobby camera. This video has a voiceover of the person these men in black came for. Oh, I think I've seen a picture from this, but I haven't seen the video. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, the ones I saw were in a lobby. Yeah, that would probably be this. Um, So I'll play it for you, and then I'll just read. I don't think I'll play you the whole thing. Like, I don't think that's necessary. Rude. There's a couple really strange-looking men Oh, yeah. And they kind of freaked everybody out, and they were asking questions about you. And of course, now I'm getting a little bit nervous, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, they were... Just real quickly for context, I might just play it all for you, because I only goes play it two minutes. Um, They came in looking for this one guy, but the guy wasn't there. So they spoke to one of his, like, co-workers, and I believe this is the co-worker talking, and that's why he was like, they came in looking for you and, like, were asking questions and stuff. So, yeah. I would describe them except for extremely odd-looking. They were the exact same height, they were wearing the exact same clothes, and they had the exact same faces, like they were twins. And he said they were wearing black suits. Even the way they walk is weird. Mm-hmm. They were wearing, like, the old-fashioned uh, Federal hat. They had extremely, extremely pale skin. They're rewinding they're it, right? They're not doing yeah. any more. I think so. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, he's actually not working today. And yeah, it seemed yeah, yeah, like they didn't believe me, so they started to walk around the hotel, and shortly after, they went to the tour desk, but he goes, they freaked me out, and I really wanted to tell you that there were these weird guys in here looking for you. No, maybe I'll just stop it there. You yeah. get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically the video is just security footage of two men in black suits who allegedly entered a hotel in Canada and started asking questions about one of their employees. Um, so apparently, like according to the stories just surrounding this incident, um, the employee in question had recently seen a UFO and had told others about his experience. And it was not long after this that these two men showed up. 
However, he wasn't actually working at the time of their visit, so they were just asking questions about him to, like, other employees, basically, or to whichever employee they did speak to. So according to witness accounts from the lobby, the men were asking people not only about the employee in question, but also about other conspiracies in general. I don't really know specifically what, but they were just asking some weird questions. They had no eyebrows or eyelashes. They had strange hypnotic eyes and bald heads, possibly disguised by wigs. So they were described as having seriously pale skin. They were the exact same height and almost appeared as if they were twins. So they also had like similar faces. And so in the video, the person talking also mentions that the weirdest thing about them was that they never blinked. Ew. Um, so now I just have a quick Reddit story. Okay, so this is from user Midnight Sacks. It was posted in the Truth Is Here subreddit. Um, and it's called My Encounter with the Men in Black. So they say, My Men in Black encounter happened in 2004 and it was something that I'll never forget. Prior to the Men in Black incident, I went on a camping trip to Joshua Tree National Park with a few friends. On our last night there, we were looking at the stars while in front of the campfire. That's when we witnessed a couple of glowing blue UFOs in the night sky going at amazing speeds. I couldn't believe what I was seeing and my friends were equally amazed and mystified. I tried to take a photo with my flip phone, but the UFOs moved too fast for me to get a clear image. Did people still have flip phones in 2004? Yeah. I think 2004 was when, like, did you have the Motorola, like, the square? You could get it in, like, pink and black and stuff and, like, everyone had them. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's around the time that was a thing. Might have even just been like a couple of years after that, but yeah, no, they were still a thing. Okay. Um, so on our drive back home, we talked about what we saw and we're really excited about it. Not long after, I noticed a black car following me from a distance. I switched lanes to make sure the black car was in fact following me, and sure enough, wherever I went, the car followed. Who would be excited about seeing a UFO? I'd be like crying. Oh, I'd be excited if nothing bad happened. Mm. Like, if I just saw it and it was there, I'd be like, that was fucking insane. But if it, like, came and messed with me, I'd be like, nope. <laughs> Although I would be concerned that they'd, like, come back for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd be so freaked out. Um, so, yeah, he says, he glanced in his rearview mirror again. The car suddenly disappeared without a trace, which was really unsettling. The next day, after running a few errands, I started driving home, and when I arrived at my house, I saw a black Cadillac parked in my driveway. People did not have black Cadillacs in 2004. That's so weird. The man in black. The man in black. <laughs> I tried to convince myself that it wasn't the same black car following me from a day ago, but my gut feeling told me otherwise. When I got out of the car, two men in matching... Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. When he got out of his car, two men in matching black suits light grey dress shirts, black ties and black fedoras approached me and asked if if they could ask me a few questions about what I had witnessed the night before. I asked them who they were and to see some credentials. They claimed that they worked for a division of the US Air Force. Their appearance looked um, what I can only describe as plastic and expressionless. They both had pale olive skin tones, they spoke in raspy, monotone voices, and their speech was very precise, sounding almost synthetic. They also had a very cold and intense gaze. Some of the questions they asked were, um, I won't read them all, but things like, can can you describe what you saw that night? What do you think you saw? Did you take any photos? Did anyone record it? Blah, blah, blah. Did he think to ask them, how do you know I saw the UFO? 
Um, no. Because that would have been my first question. Um, no, he asked them who they were and, like, where they were from and stuff. And they said the U.S. Air Force. So I suppose maybe he just took that as, like... Okay, that's I weird. Don't know. Like, yeah, still weird. I don't know. He did ask them, like, where they were from, at least. Like, he wasn't just, like, totally... Yeah. Like, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Um, so they say, I didn't answer most of their questions, honestly, and I did withhold a lot of information as to what I saw and who I was with. They ended their questioning by strongly advising me to refrain from talking about what I witnessed with anyone and to forget the incident ever happened. They also strongly implied that they would be keeping an eye on me in case I decided to ignore their demands. After the encounter, I had this constant ominous feeling for a while and always looked over my shoulder wherever I went. Yeah, so there's a comment on this same, like, post that I also thought was kind of interesting, so I'm going to read that one quickly too. So the comment is from CoraThus59. Um, so they say, My older brother was an intelligence analyst for the army. He, his wife, and another couple went up onto a hill near the base to observe a full moon one night. They witnessed an amazing aerial phenomenon with a blazing blue orb conducting maneuvers that no human craft could. Both my brother and his friend were experts in the capacities of all aircraft extent at that time in the world. Um, after observing the event for some time, the light suddenly stopped and held a stationary position in the sky. All in the car had, the certain, had a certain feeling that it was noting their observations. Then it seemed to surge toward their position, looming large. All of the above was happening around 10 p.m. at night. See, that would spook me if it, like, came towards me. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, bitch, I saw you. Yeah, nah, fuck that. <laughs> so the next thing they knew, it was 4 a.m. in the morning, and their car was 100 miles east of their base. It was also sitting exactly in the middle of a harvested wheat or barley field. What? Yeah. They got out and walked all around the car. There were no car tracks out to their position in the field. What? Ew. It was just sitting there in the middle as if it had been dropped out of the sky. A period of hysteria struck them all and they fled the scene and just kept going until they intersected the interstate. That was when they realized how far they were from the base. Some days later, men in black visited my sister-in-law at her home and also visited the wife of my brother's friend. They did not ask any questions. They just made very ominous threats about not talking about what had happened. Some years later, my brother said they had arrived at his office on base and threatened him. What really rattled him was that no one else in the complex saw them arrive or leave, and this is in a controlled access intelligence area. Even mm. years later, my brother, a hardened Vietnam vet, would start pouring tears when speaking of um, just the event. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. My sister-in-law would also burst into um, tears at the mention of the men in black, even on like TV shows and stuff. Oh, honey. Um, so there are deeply paranormal undertones to these events and encounters. My brother doesn't show tears for anything. Not pain, not loss. Um, he has like, yeah, they just go on to say about how his brother's like a hardened vet. And it was unusual. And nothing rattles him. Yeah, pretty much. So this one is an anonymous story from a postal worker in Washington, D.C., um, so they were out delivering mail one day when he decided to stop and eat an apple. When he was finished, he was looking for a bin but couldn't find one, so decided to just toss the car onto the ground. 
Yeah, I felt that too, but it, I will give him it as an apple. So like, yeah, like it's an apple. It's fine. I'm just, yeah. I'm being a dick. <laughs> um, but so all of this happened like in front of a building. Like he just pulled over in front of this building. Before he could leave, a security guard from that building approached him and lectured him for littering, explaining that the entire building and surrounding grounds were under constant surveillance. The postal worker thought about this, along with the fact that he already had to be buzzed in to deliver the mail to the building, and began thinking that there was more to this place than met the eye. Um, So that was that for that day, and then a little while passed and he was out delivering on the same route again when he came by the building again. So this time he saw three men walking toward the building, except they didn't appear to be human men. <laughs> Ooh. Um, so they waddled when they walked instead of putting one foot in front of the other, and they Aww. were also abnormally thin. Oh. Yeah. So the postal worker was obviously a bit freaked out, as you would be, um, but decided to just go on and deliver their mail anyway, because he was committed to his job. Good, good. Um, so he buzzed in and... So he buzzed in, and when he entered the building, he found a group of men who began questioning him about what he had seen before coming in. He told them he hadn't seen anything, and they basically just, like, kept grilling him until he until they eventually allowed him to leave. However, his mail route after this was changed, and he, like, never went back to the building again. Oh, okay. So, yeah, a bit weird. That is weird. <laughs> um, so this one is also an anonymous story, and these are just off, like, I don't know, random articles and stuff. Um, so a man was sightseeing also in Washington, D.C., which is apparently just, like, hub for men in black. Um, so, yeah, he was sightseeing in Washington, D.C., and he wandered into the State Department building for whatever reason. I think he was just, like, yeah, looking for touristy shit. <laughs> um, so he met... Meandered through the lobby for a while until security became suspicious of him and headed over to usher him out of the building. However, before they could do so, he saw something that he would never forget. The elevator opened and five men got out. Two of them were very businesslike and wore grey suits that were formal. What drew his attention to them, however, were the other three men in their escort. So these men wore black hats pulled low over their eyes and long black trench coats. Um, even though it was the middle of summer. So their appearance seemed so strange that he could only describe it as cartoonish. So as they were walking by, one of the strange men lost his footing on the marble floor and fell to the ground, (laughs) dropping his portfolio in the process. Upon helping him up, like, upon the dude helping him up, which I'm surprised he did because, like, I don't know, if a government, like, official-looking person fell, I probably wouldn't run over to help them. <laughs> Why? That's so mean. Well, if they're with, like, five other government oh, yeah, officials, yeah, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, they're all, t- like, I wouldn't just be the one to run over and help him. Unless maybe he's saying someone, I don't know. Upon helping him up, he noticed that the man's legs seemed extraordinarily weak, and it felt like there was a thick layer of wool under his suit, as if, like, to make him thicker. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Even stranger, the man's expression never appeared to change at all, despite falling onto the hard marble floor. Near the dropped portfolio, he found a small coin with words written on it in no language he could identify. One side depicted a man with features like a wolf, and the other had navigational lines and two crescent moons. So, space coin. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, this one's a quick Loch Ness Monster-related encounter. So a man named Frederick Holiday 
who was well known for being passionate about the study of cryptozoology and particularly the Loch Ness Monster, had spent years looking for evidence of the, yeah, of the Loch Ness Monster. One day while he was out investigating the lake, Holiday looked up on a hill near the lake and spotted a strange man dressed in a black suit. While it wasn't remarkable for people to be sightseeing along the lake, Holiday was struck by the fact that the man seemed to be looking directly at him. He was profoundly disturbed and reported feeling malevolence from the being, which I don't love. <laughs> Before he could do anything, there was a bizarre noise and the man was gone as mysteriously as he had appeared. So, yeah, just a short one there. Um, but yeah, so now we're going to go back to some more like official or like famous encounters. And I couldn't talk about UFOs and aliens without talking about my high school love, Tom DeLong from Blink-182. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for anyone not familiar with him, he, or like familiar with his alien related work, he is committed to revealing the big government UFO cover up. And he basically bailed on Blink-182 to like pursue that. Like that's why they're not a thing anymore because Tom was like, Nah, I've got to go hunt aliens. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's basically just insanely deep into like the UFO cover-up investigation, and he also has been known to like deal with a lot of government officials on the topic. Like he talks to like the higher ups and stuff. He's not just like an amateur enthusiast, I suppose. And yeah, so he yeah, so he's claimed like a whole bunch of stuff. Like he reckons he's like seen a dead alien body before, or just like all of this other crazy stuff. But um. One of the claims that he has made is that he was once interrogated by the men in black for two days straight. Okay. Yes. Unfortunately, I couldn't find anything more about this, like, interrogation um, other than him, like, making the claim that it happened. But I think he maybe discusses it in the book that he wrote. Um, yeah, he's a loud snorer. It's so cute. <laughs> I wonder um, if the microphone picks things up snoring because it's so loud. I feel like it probably does when we're, like, not talking. But, yeah, so I think he maybe goes into more detail in his book, but I'm not sure because um, I haven't read it. But, yeah, no. He reckons he has met the men in black and was interrogated by them. Um, and so the men in black have also been linked with the UFO videos that the Pentagon recently confirmed as being real. Oh, yeah. The so, ones that you talked about? Yeah, the ones that, yeah, we talked about briefly. Um... But yeah, I don't think I said the official name when we spoke about it in whatever episode it was, but those videos were referred to as the Nimitz UFO encounter, and it happened in 2004. So for several days in November 2004, a Navy missile cruiser sailing around off the coast of Southern California detected strange radar signals emanating from an object in the sky. The signals were erratic and didn't seem to match those given off by known aircraft. The Navy then deployed fighter jets to catch a closer glimpse of the strange object and one succeeded in recording a blurry black and white video that was, to the government's dislike I suppose, publicly released in 2017, along with two other videos of UFO sightings from years later. And fun fact that I didn't know until like doing this particular research, but um, those videos were actually released by Tom DeLonge. Oh. Like you apparently can't find a copy of the video that doesn't have his like logo branded onto it. Like oh. he is the one that had the videos and released them. Interesting. Yes. Um. So the UFO became known as Tic Tac 
because of the shape of it, it's shaped like a tic tac. Mm-hmm. And it apparently gave off a phosphorus glow at night and would dart around in various directions, said one of the veterans, Gary Voorhees. Not Voorhees. Not Voorhees. <laughs> um, who apparently had, like, observed the ship through binoculars. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that's, that's what happened. Um, as we know now, in 2020, the government has confirmed that these videos are legit and that they are, like, not necessarily aliens, but definitely UFOs. Um, And so several Navy officers who witnessed the now-famous Nimitz UFO encounter say unknown individuals showed up after the event and made them turn over data recordings and videos. That Gary Voorhees dude specifically recalled that sometime after the officers recorded these strange radio signals, two people showed up on a helicopter. Don't know whether it was black, but a helicopter nonetheless. And 20 minutes, 20 minutes later, Voorhees' chain of command, so like a higher up authority figure, told him to turn over the data recordings. Um, so his chain of command also told him to delete the recordings on the ship. So this is a quote from Gary. He says, they even told me to erase everything that's in the shop. I think maybe that's a typo. In the ship, even the blank tapes. Similarly, Petty Officer Patrick P.J. Hughes, who was an aviation technician, claimed that his commanding officer and two unknown men asked him to turn over the hard drives from the plane as well. So they are also believed to be the men in black. (sighs) Okay, I think this is my last story. Let me just double check. Yes, it is. Okay. So before Tom... Oh, I don't think I mentioned it before, but Tom DeLong was like at some point awarded UFO Researcher of the Year. That's a thing? Yes. Okay. By MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. <laughs> okay, so not very official, but official enough. Official in the UFO community. Yeah. Um, but prior to him being, like, the celebrity face of MUFON, comedian Dan Aykroyd was, like, the celebrity spokesperson. Who? Exactly. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm getting, like, this, I have okay. a brief sentence about who he is. The name to me was familiar, but I also don't really know him. Like, Dan Aykroyd, does that sound familiar to you at like all? a little bit. Yeah, that's how I kind of felt. Like, I was like, I've heard of him and I know he's famous, but, like, I didn't know what he did or anything. Um, so... Oh, maybe I don't, actually. Oh, no. I just have actor and comedian. So he's an actor and comedian, and he also, like, has been on a lot of, like, shows, like Saturday Night Live and all that. Like, you know, he's one of those kind of celebrities. Okay. Um, so to this day, Dan Aykroyd is still a strong proponent in the search for the truth, as can be seen in his 2005 documentary, Dan Aykroyd Unplugged on UFOs. And so he's obviously also a UFO, like, enthusiast or whatever. A ufologist. Yes. <laughs> so in 2002, Dan Aykroyd was actually meant to have his own show on the Sci-Fi Channel that was basically a talk show about, like, the paranormal, but I think he was mostly narrowing in on, like, UFOs and stuff. Okay. Um, so it was going to be called Out There. And, yeah, it was going to focus particularly on UFOs and abduction cases. So he had gotten the green light for, like, releasing it, and he had begun filming of the show, and he would basically just have, like, guests from the paranormal field and UFO community on to discuss, like, their experiences and whatnot. Mm. And yeah, so by this point in 2002, he had filmed, like, dozens of episodes, so, like, at least, like, 15 or 20 episodes or whatever, and he had had, like, a bunch of guests on, 
And one day he was on set filming, like, one of the last episodes for that season or whatever. And he popped outside the studio to have a cigarette. And so at this point, the show hadn't been released. They were just filming to, like, release it later kind of thing. Like, smashing out, filming a whole season or whatever. Yeah. Um, so while he was out having his cigarette, he was apparently on the phone to Britney Spears because she was asking him to do a Saturday Night Live sketch with her. Wait and name drop it, alright. Yeah, like, I was watching his interview where he talks about this and he was like, yeah, like, Britney called me and I was like, hey, Britney. And I was like, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he was apparently on the phone to Britney Spears. So, yeah, he noticed a black Ford across the road from him. He tried to look at the plate of the Ford, but he described it as looking fuzzy, so it wasn't readable. And he said that two guys were there and a big tall guy got out of the back seat. And so they apparently resembled the men in black. He didn't go too in-depth in, like, what they looked like, but men in black vibes. So, yeah, the tall guy that got out of the backseat stood in the middle of the... Oh, I don't know whether it was the middle of the street, but stood in the street and looked directly at him. Um, and so he said that he, like... Because he was on the phone, he kind of looked over and, like, saw the people, and then he turned back the other way. And then, like, literally a second later, he turned back to look at the car again, and it was gone. Oh. Yeah. So two hours later, he was told they would not be continuing with taping for the day. And then he was told that the show had been cancelled and oh. that he wasn't allowed to air any of it. Oh. Yes. Rude. So still How to... cut would you be? Yeah, literally. Still to this day, not a single episode of that show has aired or can be like watched anywhere. It literally has like an IMDB page and everything. Like it was literally meant to be like released not long after this incident happened. But um, it just never got released. And he did mention in the interview that I watched, like, potentially releasing it on DVD, and he seemed keen for it, but it's been, like, nearly 20 years since it was meant to be released, and he hasn't done that, so, um... I wonder if he still got paid. How annoyed would you be if he did Oh, it? look, this guy's probably, like, a fucking billionaire. Like, yeah, true. I don't think it really would have... Like, he was potentially funding the show himself kind of thing. Like, it was his oh, own okay. show. Like, his show kind of thing. I don't know whether other people were paying for it. Um... But yeah, no, you'd still be super fucking pissed. And the fact that he hasn't released it on DVD, I find really weird as well. Like, it's not even just, like, we're not airing it on the sci-fi channel anymore. Like, he hasn't, it hasn't seen the light of day. And, like, no one knows why. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. Um, that's the man in black. Wow. That was a wild ride. Yeah, it is wild. Strong finish. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so we still have... A no sleep story, a listener story, and a news story for everyone. Oh, we're doing all... Th yeah, okay. Yeah. We thought we'd just kind of, like, throw everything in for our last episode. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Would you like to take Sigmund? Yes, I can take Sigmund. This is one of my favourite no sleep stories, which is what I say about every single no sleep story. Because yeah, I much. love <laughs> all no sleep stories. Um, I also got my, like, little happy cake day badge on, like, Reddit today. It's, like, my fourth year of like literally reading Reddit every oh, single true. day yeah but that's only since I signed up I think I was reading it for like a good two years before I like was like oh I have Created to sign up because account, I want to yeah. comment on this one specific thing <laughs> um okay so it's short and sweet and it's called I keep a picture of all my victims the first victim was Emily Stout she was the sweetest thing coming up from South Carolina to make it on Broadway I met her at the subway station her blonde hair was gorgeous really well cared for her blue eyes were cute, and then her smile would easily brighten up your day. Unfortunately, everything about her turned repulsive when I got to her. When the police found her, 
most of her teeth were missing, her hair ripped to shreds, and her eyes popped out of their sockets. Mm. (laughs) Every time I look at her picture, it brings me a smile to my face until I remember how she looked when I left her. The next victim was Roger Parks. He was this big shot stockbroker. He put most of his money in stocks because he believed that's where all the money will grow. Well, finally, one day his stocks went down hard. Lost all of his money in the 2008 depression. He looked so depressed when I made my attack, like he was ready to die. The police found him the same way they found the first victim, but he had his briefcase still. Inside of it were all of his papers he needed, and the most disturbing thing was that he had a picture of his family on him. Maybe he just wanted one last goodbye. The third victim was Victoria Smith. She was this 40-something mother of three. She was definitely keeping good shape for her age. She would always complain about how her kids don't have time for her anymore and how her husband won't pay her any attention. They found her with her guts pulled out of her body, skull crushed, and her body becoming jelly. I have her picture with her family, the family that didn't give her enough attention. The fourth victim was Kelly Soprano. She worked at the ticket booth at the subway station. I saw her every day. She worked there after school. Pretty little thing. Her brunette hair was amazing. Her smile always brightened me up when I had my darkest days, and she was always down to talk whenever. I wish I never touched her. Looking back, she was the victim I regret killing the most. She was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Her picture is with her dog filter on her face, and she's wearing her metro uniform. The fifth and most recent victim was Todd Lebowski. He was this wannabe YouTuber, performing stupid stunts to get views. I watched his videos after the killing, and he seemed like an entitled douchebag. (laughs) His last stunt was the worst one he could have thought of. He was getting my attention, trying to piss me off. Well, he got what he wanted to piss me off. His body was the worst out of all of them. They couldn't even recognize who he was. They had to go off dental records to see who he was. Somehow the camera was intaked, so they looked at so they looked at the footage. What they saw was me trying to tell him to get off the track before I ran him over with the subway car. After every death, everyone tells me it's not your fault, but I just can't help remembering them in their last moments. I started to feel better when I took pictures of them and hung them in my subway cars I drive for the day. I went to everyone's funeral to make sure they had someone to remember them. Emily had to go into prostitution, became a heavy user of drugs. Roger became affiliated with loan sharks and made a hole too big to come out of. Victoria lost everything. Her kids went out of state. Her husband was a gay man the whole time. The cherry on top was that she found out she had skin cancer and had months to live. Kelly was a victim of bullying. Her note said she loved every single one that made her smile. She even mentioned me. Todd seemed like a stunt gone wrong, but actually he was battling depression and his stunts were his way of trying to end it all. To the people who are battling depression or going through a rough spot in their life, just know that some... You okay? I'm okay. (laughs) You know me, I'm like so emotional. (laughs) But yeah, basically just says that someone will remember you, even if it's the guy who sees you in your final seconds. But yeah, basically I was going to read that on like suicide awareness like week, which is in September. Yeah, okay. But yeah. True. So sad. That is a sad one. Like yeah. gruesome and then like sad. Yeah. I was waiting to um, see what the like twist would be. Did you see it coming? Because I didn't when I like was reading Not it. Not until you said the subway car. Yeah. Thing. Um, by the way, that was by user my oh my pancakes. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Who um, yeah, who gave me permission to read it like literally ages ago. So. Yeah, true. 
Um, okay, I have, I think this is my first ever listener's story. We normally do them, so this Ooh. is the first time I'm reading a listener's story. Yeah, so this is from one of our, like, our hardcore supporters. He's listened from the start, I think, so we appreciate that. Thank you. Um, nice way to finish up. <laughs> so he says, this story happened to my father in the early 2000s. When I was around seven or eight years old, me, my mom, dad, and brother lived in a one-bedroom studio for a while. My dad was a heavy alcoholic back then, and I recall him mentioning a situation that something or someone had pulled his legs while he was sleeping. At first, my mum did not believe him and would make fun of him and blame the alcohol for the situations that would happen at night. But one night, my mother felt a cold presence in the room and felt something tug on her leg. Then she felt something pull her legs, so she got up really freaked out and turned the lights on. The next morning, she apologised to my father for not believing him. My father would always mention seeing small shadows running around the corner of his eyes, so who knows what that really was. It might have been what was haunting the place. Um, And so he has a second experience. So he says, This story happened to me around the age of 11 or 12, and it happened in a rural area 30 minutes from my town. My grandparents used to live in a hotel that was abandoned. Not sure. Yeah, no, spooky, hey. (laughs) Um, So he says, not sure how they were legally living there, but they lived there for the majority of my childhood. Super badass. (laughs) Yeah, like dream house. Yeah, literally. Um, So this place was in an area that was inhabited by Native Americans in the old days, so there really wasn't a lot of houses around at all. The nights were always pitch black and owls inhabited the area. There was a second floor on top and we would always stay on the first floor. The second floor was uninhabited, so there was no explanation to the noises that we would hear coming from there. Anything from cackling noises to whispers to feet stomping and running. Ew. Yeah. There was also a piano that would play itself randomly at night. However, That's really I, cool. Yeah. I've always wanted a <laughs> piano that like plays itself. It reminds me of the Piano Goosebumps book where it's like, I don't know, that was just like the first Goosebumps book I ever read. And I remember oh. it was about like a piano. <laughs> Um, but he says, however, I never got to experience that. Like he never heard it himself. One night, me and my cousin decided to stay up really late and I don't remember much, but I do remember me and him were playing dominoes and out of nowhere, we heard some noises coming from upstairs. At first it was one or two footsteps. Then out of nowhere, it sounded like there was a lot of people running upstairs and me and my cousin froze with fear. We also heard people talking, but we couldn't understand what they were saying. I always remember that I never liked staying there after dusk. It was always super dark and scary. Sadly, this hotel where I spent most of my childhood mysteriously burned down in 2011. All that remains is the chimney that was made of stone. Um, There's a few other stories that have happened to me or relatives. I can't prove that they aren't lying, but I've had spooky experiences there, so I believe them. Um, And yeah, that's it. And he also sent me a photo of his really cute cat. (laughs) Oh, yeah, baby. It looks like baby Oscar. Yeah, it does actually. Um, very but yeah, so very cute, very spooky. Oh, I want to <laughs> live in an abandoned hotel. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's like house. One goals. of my like, one of my like life goals is like, if I didn't have to live in the city and work, I would like, if I had lots of money, I'd like move out to the middle of nowhere and get like a really big property and make like a haunted B and B for people to come stay. Oh, in. true. That's really cute. I think you I'd be a really that. good B and B host. Okay, and lastly, we have our spooky news, which we actually have Australian spooky news to I finish love up. Spooky news. <laughs> I feel like I haven't done spooky news in ages, so yeah. yeah. The first spooky news of the year, almost. 
Yeah. No, I'm sure it hasn't been that long. (laughs) Okay, so it's from abc.net, which is like the main kind of news police in Australia. Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised it's on such a like mainstream news. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's called Mysterious Sounds and Lights in the Lake Weber Bushland Have Some Residents Spooked. While it may appear to be a paranormal phenomenon ripped straight out of the X-Files, one expert says there is an explanation for the humming noises and flickering lights apparently haunting some Sunshine Coast residents. Oh, this happened close to us. Yeah, this is like an hour away from us. Um, <laughs> talk <laughs> of spooky experiences in the Lake Weber area have sparked supernatural debate on social media after a walker asked if anyone had noticed anything strange at the Perigian end of Noosa National Park. I was walking there today and heard a weird humming sound, like a human humming a tune, Kern Eben said in a Facebook post. It followed me for about 30 minutes. It sounded like it was getting closer to before I left the fire track. Former Lake Weber resident Sarah Jane Stockham said that she had also experienced strange things when she and her partner lived at a house that backed onto the bushland in the area. We used to go walking down there a bit in the bush. We always had a feeling like we shouldn't be there. A little bit of a spooky feeling, she said. You would hear strange noises through the bush, like someone was walking parallel to you, but there wasn't anyone. But Mrs. Stockton said the strangest experience, the strangest experience was when she was woken one night to darting lights. We were lying in bed. There was no fence between our house and the bush, and this really strange light appeared probably about three meters high, and it was darting across the front of the bushland. At first we thought, is it a torch? But the way it moved, it was way too strange to be someone with a torch. We watched it for probably about 30 minutes, and then it disappeared. Tim the Yowie Man is the Australian National Museum's resident crypto-naturalist, a term he he invented, (laughs) meaning someone who studies rare, strange, and hidden phenomena in the natural world. Good for him. Yeah. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) He said the lights may have come from houses or vehicles. Unexplained lights occasionally spotted in the Australian outback are known as min-min lights named after the remote Queensland town, which are basically like Australian will-o'-wisps, if anyone is like familiar with them. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Min-min lights are best described as strange balls of light seen bouncing around, coming and going, usually white, but sometimes other colours, he said. But no matter how close you get to the light, you try to chase it and reach it, and it always seems too far away. Um... When I did, like, a little bit of research on Min Min Lights a while ago, because I was going to do a story on it, but it was, like, too short to be, like, a proper story. Mm -hmm. Like, the lore is basically, like, if you go chasing after a Min Min Light, like, you'll never return. And it's, like, essentially because you can, like, never catch it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're just infinitely chasing something. Yeah. Until you disappear. Tim said Min Min Lights light sightings were often just examples of light traveling from nearby the light is bent around the curve of the globe due to different temperature layers of air he said when the light hits a layer of cold air it contracts that light and it can push it around the curve of the globe he said the humming noise may be coming from the ocean there is a phenomenon that scientists can't explain in various spots all around the world like a human humming or someone off in the distance he said The constant action of waves, even a couple of kilometres away, can cause a low-frequency earth tremor. A Queensland National Parks and Wildlife spokesperson said rangers who frequently visited Lake Weber had not heard or seen anything unusual there. So yeah, he was a bit of a party pooper at the end of that news article, but 
it's like kind of exciting that we may have like spooky lights like yeah Mm, interesting we should be looking for them (laughs) my friend luke sent me that news article by the way i feel like i should give him credit i didn't actually find it so yeah fair enough so yeah thanks luke thanks luke um and yeah that's the end of our very last episode yeah thanks for coming on that journey with us everyone yeah thank you for all your support and stuff um and for listening to us and you can still send yeah. us like spooky stuff at any time. Like I'll still be like occasionally logging into the Facebook page and yeah, stuff, yeah, and yeah. our Facebook page, Instagram page, and like you can like message us on our like personal accounts too. Like we're always happy to like hear about some spooky stuff that's like going on with people. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, not to get anyone's hopes up, but you never know. Like maybe we'll come back to this one day when we're like feeling it a bit more. But um. Yeah, no, I hate you. Until not doing then. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying that so people still think we're friends, but we're not. <laughs> um, no, but like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe one day. Yeah, maybe. Like if we have lots of time again. If I, if we both ever get our dream of working part time. Yeah. Yeah. Until then, though. <laughs> yeah. Until then. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. It really does mean the world to us that yeah. we have been able to do this for. I'm just going to round it up to a year. It's been basically It's a been year. basically a year. Like, I think we started in August and it's the end of June. So. Yeah, yeah. We're, like, seven weeks off being a year, so. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, thanks, everyone. Yeah. See bye. ya. See you around. Yeah, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.